Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, here again with Katie Gullis. Glory to Jesus Christ, Katie. Glory to him forever, Father Tom. There are many, many things happening in the news. Unfortunately, sometimes we hear about continued tragedy and strife in countries in which we have high populations of Christians from the eastern lung of the church, and so we are very sensitized to their plight here on Light of the East. And from time to time, we do have on our program Juliana Tamarazzi, who is the president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council, where we try to raise awareness of the sufferings of Christians, especially Eastern Christians. So we want to keep you apprised of that. There are some recent developments. In fact, if you want to find out more and be able to help out and be at least to be aware of what's happening, certainly through prayer, there is a website you can go to in which people can find out more about what's happening and stay on top of what's happening with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Iraq. That's right, Father Tom. The website is aancoalition.rallycongress.com. One more time, that's aan, the word coalition, dot rallycongress.com. Now, our message and our work here on Light of the East and in conjunction with organizations like the Iraqi Christian Relief Council, of course, is aimed at all Christians. But in particular, of course, naturally here, because we are Light of the East, we are focusing on the plight of those who are Eastern Christians. And many of them have fled Iraq and have come here to America, especially our Assyrian and Chaldean Christians. So please stay, at least stay aware of these things, because you don't hear these things on mainstream media, but you will get them here on Light of the East. Once again, that website? 
aancoalition.rallycongress.com. Also, we have a letter from a listener. We always do enjoy hearing from you. This is William, and he's writing to us from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He says, My name is Willie, and I am a convert to the Byzantine Catholic Church from Protestantism. I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene of Galp, New Mexico. After moving to Albuquerque, New Mexico, for college, I, by the guidance of the Lord, befriended a good Catholic Christian classmate who acted as my main catechist answering any questions I had who introduced me to the Eastern Catholic Churches, specifically the Byzantine Rite. I went through RCIA, or rather ECAF, one-on-one with the Byzantine Parish Deacon, and on July 11, 2010, I was chrismated and received my first Holy Eucharist at Our Lady of Perpetual Help, Byzantine Catholic Church. I have since tried to get as involved as I can by chanting epistles, participating as an altar server, at as many services as I can attend, and being an active member of our parish's Knights of Columbus Council. I was first introduced to the Light of the East radio program during my Sunday morning drive to church, but have since been arriving there too early to be able to listen to your program. So after I found out, after browsing your parish website, that the Light of the East episodes are on there, I started listening to them from the beginning. Currently, I'm on only episode 110, so hopefully I'll be able to catch up one day. I've learned a lot, not only on the Eastern Catholic traditions, but also of Catholic theology, especially Father Loya's teachings from the theology of the body. One of the main parts of the Byzantine liturgy that really drew me to it, and to eventually love it, is the music, the liturgical song. So it is fitting that I'm requesting a copy of your parish's CD. I would just like to thank Father Loya and all who make this program a reality. Well, I want to thank you, William, for your kind letter and also for all of your good work and dedication and love of your newfound faith, the Byzantine Catholic Church. And by the way, you were officially entered in the Byzantine Catholic Church on the feast day of my ordination, July 11th, last year, 2010. You came to the church, according to your letter, and that was on July 11th. That's the anniversary of my own ordination, which this year I celebrated, back this very month, my 29th year of ordination on July 11th. So, Thank you, William, again, for your letter and for your enthusiasm. And also, I'm glad you enjoy a liturgical music. also mentioned about hearing about the theology of the body. I'm glad you said this, Willie, in conjunction with, in the same breath in a sense, with the Byzantine liturgy. In other words, the Byzantine rite. Because the theology of the body that I do talk about and teach about and write about is actually really an articulation for the modern world of, really, of the liturgical worldview which is very much the soul of the heart of the eastern lung of the church. In other words, liturgy provides for us, and this is especially the case in eastern churches, it provides for us a view of the world, how to see all of life. You see, liturgy informs life, meaning it gives the meaning, the purpose, the why behind all aspects of life, all of creation, the why of our even being alive, being created, being human, And also, life informs liturgy. In other words, we bring to liturgy, we bring to the Eucharist, 
our sum total of our experience of life, especially the, the good things. The bad things, yes, we bring there as well. We kind of put them on the altar to, for Christ to take up into his sacrifice of the, of the cross, which, of course, is mystically represented there during the liturgy, during the Eucharist on the altar. So we kind of bring even, yes, our pains and our hurts and our weaknesses and our sins. We bring all that and lay it there in, on the altar and offer it up, just like incense, like a holocaust, through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, as mystically present on the altar. We bring all that we are, the good and the hurt, and we offer that up. But primarily we bring the good. In other words, when we come to liturgy, the approach to liturgy is we come, in a sense, to entertain God. It's a very, very important approach to liturgy that is sometimes missed today or actually thought of backwards. A lot of times people say, well, I don't go to church, I don't go to Mass anymore or liturgy because I don't get anything out of it. Usually when they say that, I applaud for them because I say, well, you've got it right. Now we just have to help you understand why that's a good thing and why you should come to church. Precisely because you don't get anything out of it. Because you're not supposed to. That's not the point. Yes, we do get something out of it just by default. Kind of like this. It's like if you're walking around outside, especially in these days, these hot sunny days that we've been having, and you don't really intend to get a tan or you're not really thinking too much about the sun, once you go back inside and look at yourself, maybe a day or two later, you find out, that, oh, my skin is darkened a little bit. I got tanned by the sun. So whether you wanted to or not, whether you intended to or not, something affected you. You got something, as it were, from the sun because the sun is so magnificent, so marvelous, so overpowering, so incredible, so encompassing. Well, liturgy is like that, especially the Eucharist. Think of it like the sun with its burning, brilliant rays emanating out all over us into the world. We come to church not to get something out of it, although it happens anyway, like stepping out into the sun. What we do when we come to liturgy is we come to give something to God. In other words, we come to, in a sense, entertain God. You know, he's the one that gets to sit back and say, I didn't get anything out of that Mass. I'm not coming anymore. Now, not really, but in a sense, I mean, remember, I'm talking in a sense, we entertain God. In other words, he sits back there waiting for us to raise our voices in praise and thanksgiving. He just sits there basking in the sound of our voices. I can just imagine him turning to St. Peter. Oh, St. Peter, listen to my children sing my praises. Isn't that wonderful? And Peter's probably, you know, kind of like banging his head like, yeah, they're a little out of tune there, Lord. Yeah, but it's still music to my ears. See, that's what liturgy is. And liturgy should be, in a sense, exhausting. We come and sort of give our whole selves to Christ as he, in turn, gives his entire body, blood, soul, divinity to us in what we know as the Eucharist in the liturgy. We're going to talk about how to approach liturgy and how the structure of the liturgy itself and its architecture gives us a glimpse, a vision on the real meaning, not only of liturgy itself, but also of life. And this is really what we mean by the theology of the body, actually. The theology of the body is our call to turn our gaze in a sacramental or liturgical manner. That's really what it is. John Paul II even said that conjugal relations, in a sense, you know, the language of marital relations, the, that language, what it says, is in a sense liturgical language. It's the same language of liturgy, you know, where our Lord comes to us and the priest says, take, eat, this is my body, you know, using the words of Christ himself. The bridegroom Christ comes for his bride. And conversely, the language of liturgy is in a certain sense marital or conjugal. In other words, the same things are happening. And John Paul II talks about this beautifully in his Theology of the Body. 
which is nothing more than the very soul of the church and her liturgy. And we're going to talk about that in particular and see how that is actually woven through the action, the vestments, the colors, the appointments, the very architecture of the church. So please stay with us here on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest. This year's fest features a 5K run, beanbag tournament, and trivia contest. Experience the reverential awe of our church interior and take a meditative walk for our award-winning landscape. Prairie Fest. No admission charge, Prairie Fest. Kicks off at 7, Friday evening, August 12th, with music by the Tinley Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Then Saturday, August 13th at 2.30, the U of I Guys Band, playing your favorite hits. Later, at 7, the fabulous Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. On Sunday, August 14th at 11.30 a.m., Polka with Eddie Blazonczyk's Versatones on their farewell tour. Oh, how I miss you. Followed by Harvest Moon at 3. Prairie Fest, $5,000 grand prize raffle. Details at ByzantineCatholic.com on the events page. Friday through Sunday, August 12th through the 14th at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East the Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya here again with Katie Goulis. You know, Katie, we have another fasting period coming up soon. It's we're heading towards the end of July here. And we begin in the Byzantine Church. What? What is that fast we begin? The fast of the Assumption. Right. Very yes. good. Or <laughs> Two points for me. And, uh, I caught you off guard there, but you did very good. You were quick on your feet. <laughs> the Assumption. Most of our Latinite brethren and Protestant brethren, who hopefully are tuning in as well, hopefully you enjoy our program, you would know it as the Feast of the Assumption. For us in the Eastern Church, we know it that way, but particularly we call it the Feast of the Dormition, the falling asleep of the Mother of God. And that begins on, of course, August 15th, but there's also and always a pre-festive period for us, you know, a period that kind of leads us into the climactic moment of the feast itself. We also have what's called a post-festive, where we sort of gradually come out of that feast. So it's kind of a bell curve approach to our feast days. We kind of warm up to them. You have the great celebration itself. You have a kind of like a kind of a gentle falling action coming out of the feast and returning back to what might be called ordinary time in preparation for the next feast. <laughs> but on our way there, we do have periods of penance of preparation. Father Tom, I have a question. Yes. Our prairie fest comes right before the Feast of the Assumption. <laughs> Yeah. On the 12th, 13th, and 14th yes. of August. Mm -hmm. So do we have to fast 
during Prairie Fest? Well, let's see. I'll go on the limb here and say I could probably, as a pastor, give our parishioners a special dispensation under their circumstances. Oh, because, I mean, <laughs> all that good food and everything, you know. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, um, the good food, golly, I can smell it just by you talking about it already. Hopefully it's coming through the speakers that you're listening to right now, the smell of stuffed cabbage and pierogies and ethnic foods. And also the sound of dancing. Our Prairie Fest is August 12th to the 14th. That's Friday to Sunday. Friday to Sunday, August 12th to the 14th. Right here at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois. You can tour our Prairie, our award-winning environmental plan of our parish, of our parish grounds. You can tour our parish too, which is painted from floor to ceiling with Byzantine iconography. You can dance to non-stop live music, all kinds of music. Golly, what do we have, Katie? We've got bluegrass music and folk music. We've got mm-hmm. polka. We've got some... Classic rock music. Classic and, rock, yeah. Um, all the old hits and everything. So cover bands, and we've beanbag got, tournaments, we've got a beanbag games for the yes. kids, a 5K run. I mean, we're really stepping up our game this year. <laughs> yeah, great, great event. So come on out. And that's another way of celebrating the feast, too. The Virgin Mary would want us to party during her feast day as she entered body and soul into heaven. So that's the whole point of that feast, the assumption or the dormition that she entered body and soul into heaven, body and soul intact, because she was without sin, which, of course, would have been our destiny, and ultimately it will be our destiny. It's just that we have to wait for it. Our body has to separate from our soul for a while, which is what we know as death, but in the end we'll be reunited, body and soul, and transfigured. It's just that with the mother of God, because she was without sin, she had it here in this life. And that's what Eve would have had as well. But because she sinned, There had to be a new Eve, and that, of course, is the mother of God. And so when she dies, as it were, she dies in the way that we originally were meant to, quote-unquote, die, which really is not death as we know it, but a gentle passing body and soul into heaven where our body and soul reaches its ultimate glory, transfigured as we become together the one bride of the bridegroom Christ. And speaking of the bride and bridegroom, As I mentioned, when we look at the liturgy and with the help of the language of the theology of the body, we do so by seeing the liturgy in terms of the great spousal mystery. You see, there's only one real mystery, only one real story in life, and that is the spousal mystery, as John Paul II called it. And that's nothing other than the incarnation. In other words, where the invisible God, the bridegroom as such, creates a bride which is his creation, ultimately his church, which is the new Israel, mystically speaking, and he weds his bride. That's right, he takes on a bride, unites himself intimately with that bride, and in the end there will be a union of love and intimacy forever. And since that is the one fundamental mystery, as you mentioned earlier, liturgy informs life and life informs liturgy, the liturgy naturally is going to be about that mystery. Perhaps you didn't realize that when you go to Mass or liturgy, you attend the Eucharist, Eucharistic celebration, you are actually entering into a great mystical wedding. And everything in the church actually expresses that, or so it should. This is why church design and church art and architecture is very, very important. This is especially true in the Eastern churches, because in the Eastern church, we express what we believe. And so, Things, physical things, are very important to us. And the way that they're done is usually very specific because they're transmitting a specific aspect of God, a specific aspect of the created order of divine revelation. 
And so from the architecture to the church grounds to the rhythm to the action to the candles to the incense in the church liturgy, both East and West, but in particular East, we really have an immersion into that one great spousal mystery. I want to refer all of you to a wonderful article in a wonderful book. This book is new. It came out. It's called Benedict XVI and Beauty in Sacred Art and Architecture. That's Benedict XVI and Beauty in Sacred Art and Architecture. It's put out by Four Court Press in Dublin or Scepter Publishers in New York. That's Four Court Press Dublin or Scepter Publishers in New York. And the editors are D. Vincent Tuomi, SVD, and Janet E. Rutherford. That's Vincent Tuomi and Janet Rutherford are the editors. And again, it's Benedict XVI and Beauty in Sacred Art and Architecture. Now, in this book, among the many essays, again, this is brand new, because really what this book was, well, I'll read inside the jacket. It says, in a historic meeting with artists in 2009, Benedict XVI summoned the church and the world to engage in an authentic renaissance of art. The second FOTA, International Liturgy Conference, was convened the same year to examine just how to do so. Architecture, painting, sculpture, furnishings all have an indispensable role to play in raising our hearts and minds to God. Developing the themes set out in Benedict XVI and Sacred Liturgy, this second volume of the series examines the fundamental principles that guide the church in determining which works of art are truly signs and symbols of the supernatural world. Well, there's an article in there by, actually, proud to say, humble to say, a friend of mine, Helen Ratner Dietz. And the name of the article is The Nuptial Meaning of Classic Church Architecture. And she starts out by saying there are two perspectives from which one can look at the developments in church architecture and which occurred at the time of Constantine. One can look at how Christian church architecture became Romanized, or contrarywise, one can look at how Roman basilica architecture became Near Easternized. Today I shall look at the latter. I shall look at how the Roman basilica architecture became Near Easternized, or more precisely, Judaized. In other words, especially in the East, how the church architecture, which was also picked up in the West, actually, especially in the 4th century on, conformed more and more to the design of the Jewish temple. Now, in early Christianity, the Christians would gather in homes for their services. When they weren't gathering in homes, the public place they gathered in were the Roman basilicas. Those were existing buildings. They were public buildings. They were big enough for people gathered in, so they just used them. So once the Roman Empire became Christianized, they just used the same buildings. But over time, they began to modify them. And how did they modify them? They modified them according to the theology of this one great mystery, the spousal mystery, where it is a matter of the church temple, as it were, the place of worship, being seen as the meeting point, the wedding canopy, as it were, of the bridegroom God with his bride, the church, the new Israel. And so what happened over time, starting especially in the fourth century, the church began to design or reconfigure the basilica. It, it took the basic shape of the basilica, the basic plan, and began to modify it in several ways in which it would communicate this spousal mystery. And the church knew that this was, in fact, our Jewish roots, that the Jewish people saw as a primary analogy or the relationship between God and us being expressed as a marriage. And a lot of their worship expressed that as well, their temple, even how they would have ceremonies such as weddings or marriages. They would do so under a canopy. So lo and behold, what starts to happen in the altar area of early Christian churches, and even many to this day, but a canopy became present, a canopy 
over the altar, and this canopy oftentimes had curtains on it. In fact, sometimes the curtains went almost all the way around. Now, in the Eastern Church, we have retained this by means of what we call the icon screen. The icon screen separates the sanctuary from the nave, and many of these screens also traditionally had curtains on them. We have this in the Coptic Orthodox Church and also in the Armenian churches as well. They use curtains. Now, these curtains were actually symbolic of the separation of the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, which was a design of the Jewish temple. And why did they have this separation? They had this separation because the Holy of Holies, which we know today in Christian churches as the altar area or the sanctuary, was considered to be, in a sense, the nuptial chamber, the place where the wedding would take place between Christ, the bridegroom in Christianity, and his bride, or in the Jewish tradition, between God and his bride, Israel. And the reason why they had a curtains or a canopy was because that symbolized, for the bride especially, the warding off or the protection of her from any evil spirits, especially in anticipation of her bearing children. So from that early Jewish temple design, which carried with it even then the sense of the marriage, the spousal mystery, we have even to this day, especially in Eastern churches, the design of the sanctuary with things like canopies or curtains or icon screens to preserve that one central mystery the spousal mystery. So you see, everything in the Eastern churches in particular, from architecture to ritual to words, is purposeful to express what it is we believe. And expressing what we believe, in this case the spousal mystery, is the great genius of the Eastern church. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>